Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is Chief Executive of the Association of Scotland Self-Caterers, Fiona Campbell. Good morning. Good morning. Now, you've been spearheading the campaign regarding the serious concerns surrounding the measures introduced by the Scottish Government to regulate the short-term lettings industry. Now, first of all, can you tell us a bit about your own background and also about the aims and commitments of the association? Absolutely. Well, um, I have been representing the Association of Scotland Self-Caterers since February 2015. Uh, We've got 1,700 members and we represent the professional self-catering sector. But these days we also represent bed and breakfast and other people that have been brought into this legislation. So we largely represent anybody that is a short-term let. I do hate that expression, but it's what we've been left with. So um, as myself, I've got two self-catering properties in Loch Lomond area, and I've been a self-catering, professional self-caterer for 21 years. So during those 21 years, I've always complied with existing health and safety legislation, the correct tax regimes, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this kind of phrase bandied around by the Scottish government and ministers that we are an unregulated sector and we need to be brought up to speed with hotels and other accommodation. We absolutely refute that. The legislation as it stands for short-term let is based on the existing health and safety compliance that we sent them because it's already existing, we already comply with it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a hugely frustrating um, conversation, and you see it across social media that we are unregulated. That is simply not true. So unfortunately, it's a little bit like you and I going into Tesco's or any other supermarket. We've been doing exactly the same shop on a, on a Friday for the last fifteen years, but next week you're going to have to pay two hundred pounds just to go into the shop. It's just unnecessary. It's a huge amount of admin and financial burden for no material gain. And that's the frustration. Okay. So so what would you say are the, the main aims then and commitments of the association itself? Well, our vision as an association is to support our membership and to put us at the forefront of Scottish tourism industry. And I think we do that very well. Over the last few years, we have become very much integral in those in that tourism voice. I sit on the Scottish Tourism Alliance Council. I sit on the STA policy group. We are um, founding members of the European Holiday Home Association and various other things. And during the COVID pandemic, I was at the table with the um, Scottish Tourism Emergency Response Group. We are very much at the table with the Scottish government to try and assist both our sector, but also the wider tourism sector going forwards. Okay. So do you just want to explain um, kind of to the listeners what the aims of the legislation, you know, the timings for the licences um, and the main changes that are being proposed? Well, now that's the million dollar question. Yes. <laughs> so what are the policy objectives? And the last time I met with the housing minister, Paul McLennan, I said exactly, I said, Paul, what is the policy objective here? 
So the Scottish government will publicly right now contend that this is about ensuring the basic health and safety of short-term accommodation of all forms, whether you're a self-caterer or indeed uh, you rent out a room in your property, your home sharing, or indeed if you swap your home, which a lot of home swappers have no idea that they're encapsulated in this legislation. But it's about basic health and safety, quote unquote, many operators will already be complying with the existing laws. So if they're existing laws, one begs the question, why does one need licensing? But it's also really important to remember that licensing covers the safety of an activity. The second policy objective that the Scottish government doesn't admit to is that this is to address the housing crisis. Now, licensing cannot and will not ameliorate the housing crisis. It simply can't. And we even got them to withdraw the over-provision clause back in 2021 because this isn't about housing. This is about the safety of the activity. So interestingly, if I say to ministers, um, you're, you're trying to manage down the numbers of self-catering units in order to free them up for housing, affordable housing, no less. They'll say, no, 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 that's not the policy objective. But I sat at a debate in Parliament on Wednesday of this week. Was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday. I can't remember. This week's been very long. And the entire debate focused on housing. And you think, well, hang on a second. I thought this was about basic health and safety. But what we're actually seeing, even if it is about housing, what we're seeing is that people that are leaving the sector are leaving their properties lying empty or using them as second homes. So that commercial element that's been benefiting local economies and communities for years is now completely lost. And those properties are going to be lying empty apart from a few weeks a year. That's not helping anyone. And on the other side of the spectrum, if they're selling those properties, 98% are not going to ever be affordable housing. So what we're actually seeing is that this is going to be exacerbating house prices. So if that looks like success, well, it doesn't look like success to me, that's for sure. Now, what the problem with housing is, is that they haven't built enough houses. The population is increasing exponentially. There are 17,500 self-catering units on non-domestic rates in Scotland. 17,500. There are 49,500 empty homes in Scotland. Let's deal with that first. And there are 24,500 second homes. This legislation will never fix the second home issue or the empty home issue. So therefore, there's going to be much more damage to tourism than there is any material benefit to the housing crisis. And in the meantime, livelihoods are being lost left, right and centre. And that, for me, is not a measure for success. So are there any short-term scenarios that, um, you know, are, will be excluded from this legislation? Yep. If you have got serviced apartments, now that has to be caveated, if you have got Four, apart, four or more apartments in one block with one front door that is not shared by anybody else, and there's a service, like a concierge service, you're excluded because you're considered to be an apart hotel. If you are a licensed premises, as in the 2005 liquor licensing, if you're a guest house or a B&B, &B, then you're excluded. If your premises moves your guests from A to B, a boat, 
for example, but it can't be a moored boat, it has to be moving, then that's excluded. Uh, again, if you have got a car caravan license, then your premises are excluded. So there are a range of exclusions. Which is interesting because they should just as much be covered by these kind of safety regulations. And again, which touches then on whether it's, yeah, leaning towards housing itself rather than safety. Exactly. Okay. If, you're, if you're looking at the housing element, then if you've got glamping pods, you are included, unless they're on a caravan license. So it's swept up lots of people that I don't think they intended to sweep up, including bed and breakfast. Mm -hmm. Now, bed and breakfast already comply with existing health and safety legislation, and clearly they're not going to be any good at um, affordable housing. So the legislation from day one was flawed. It was fundamentally flawed. It was clumsily written and, frankly, as a car crash. It's a really deplorable piece of policy, and they know it, but they've now got themselves into such a political bun fight over it and I think they are hamstrung by the Green Party that they've just got themselves dug, dug in and they they can't find a way out. So it's a real shame because the, the net total of that is that livelihoods are being affected, people's yeah. mental health is being affected, our sector is now being demonised and people are being threatened and harassed. It's not a good picture in our sector right now. Well, let's talk about the City of Edinburgh Council's licensing scheme and the opposition in respect of the rebuttal presumption. As Scotland's so largest ever crowdfunding campaign in legal history um, lodged a judicial review. So tell us about this, the outcome, and whether it's changed the way in which the licensing plans have progressed for Edinburgh and other authorities. Yeah, that's a very good point. So the, the City of Edinburgh Council developed their policy last September, September 22. And it became abundantly clear that they'd gone far too far. They'd overstretched and overreached. And we felt that the policy was unlawful. So a group of petitioners supported by the ASSE put in a judicial review to the City of Edinburgh Council's policy. That was heard by Lord Braid at the Court of Session in May of this year. And in June, he came back with his recommendations and judgment. And the judgment was that it breached um, it breached common law and the provision of services regulations on a number of points. What it didn't say was, and it left it lying slightly open, was that there isn't enough evidence yet to assess whether it has also breached Article 1, Protocol 1 of the Human Rights Act. But that is, as I say, still on the table. So the City of Edinburgh Council um, conceded that that was the case, and they have since amended their policy. Now, on the back of that, uh, we as an association have written to four other local authorities, including Highland Council, Argyll and Butte, Glasgow Council and Dundee City Council. And on the basis of Lord Braid's judgment, we have flagged specific reasons why their policies are also unlawful. Each one of those four has conceded that their policies need to be amended and are duly doing so. But we have got 10 working days until this policy, until every short-term mm. let in Scotland has to have applied. And they haven't changed their policies yet. Indeed, Dundee is taking these recommendations for new policy back to committee on the 5th of October. And following that, they're going to send it out to consultation. Well, the deadline is the 1st of yeah. October. 
Meanwhile, another couple of petitioners are now have launched a, a judicial review, second judicial review against Edinburgh's planning policy. That is not being heard until the 8th of November of this year. Meanwhile, the problem with Edinburgh is that you have to apply for planning permission in order to apply for a license. 98% of planning applications are being rejected. 98%. In Glasgow, you have to have already got planning permission before you can apply for a license. It's not happening. So you can't even get to the point of applying for a license. Last I heard, Edinburgh City Council had granted seven secondary let licenses in the whole of Edinburgh. Seven. And they suggest that there are 12,000 short-term lets in Edinburgh. So is seven enough or is seven too many? Can you see what a mess this is? Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, all across Scotland, people are being forced to apply for these policies under legal duress, even though we know that at least four of them remain unlawful. That doesn't feel good to me. And we've only written to four. We haven't written to the rest of them. So I'm not saying, I mean, there's others that I've got on a list that I are also unlawful. We just haven't written to them yet. Okay, I mean, as you mentioned, the deadline, you know, it, it is looming. And the association um, just recently uh, wrote to the First Minister claiming that the legislation may also, in actual fact, be in breach of the European Convention of Human Rights data protection um, and privacy laws. Can you expand on this? Absolutely. So what we do know is that um, the, the way that they are asking for our personal information in order to put a notice up outside our premises and also put it on a public register does breach both of those points of law. Um, and we've actually raised it with the Information Commissioner's Office and he, again, is astonished that it's got this far. So this is being looked at actively. But again, I'll say it's the 15th of September. Why hasn't this been addressed? Why is it the Association of Scotland Self-Caterers has spent tens of thousands of pounds on legal advice when the Scottish government should have got this right? It's absolutely unbelievable. But what we are seeing, and I mentioned it earlier, is that our sector is being harassed, it's being threatened, and people are being attacked. I myself got assaulted by my neighbour for operating really? the house next to his. Yeah, he's got a criminal record and I've got PTSD. That's not okay. I'm running a legitimate hospitality business. And that's the other thing to remember, is that our businesses are on non-domestic rates. See what it says there? They're non-domestic rates. We pay business rates because we're hospitality businesses and we got the hospitality grants during covid we are not dodgy landlords that are taking away housing we are very much part of communities and have been for decades and this narrative that's been built up by the media and our politicians that we're entitled parasites has got to stop it is not good enough the housing minister said to one of his constituents recently she's called linda said to her, she said, I'm not going to be able to get a license. He said, well, you should maybe think about going and looking, getting another job. Oh. His caseworker went further and said, actually, benefits are pretty good these days. 
that's not okay. That is not, no. that is indefensible as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And when you think about our sector being 70% operated by women, there's a sexual discrimination point in there. Because for our sector, a lot of women operate self-catering units in order to fit around their other responsibilities, whether that's caring for children or um, a, a frail parent or whatever it is. We are able to do that because there's that flexibility. But if you take away that potential, then what are we going to do? It goes back to Rishi Sunak, I think it was, during the pandemic saying that ballet dancers should be retraining as something else. Like, what are we meant to do? Go retrain as ballet dancers? With all due respect to the people in my industry, that's probably not not going to happen. But the fact is that they yeah. seem to feel like we're this disposable sector. And you think, when did the value of the self-catering and bed and breakfast sector become so low? Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel nice. Now, you mentioned, obviously, with Paul McLennan, because yourself and Louise Dickens, who's MD of Dickens Edinburgh Limited, and she's also board member of ASAC. Now, you both recently met with the, the Scottish Housing Minister, Paul McLennan, to respond to his request for the red flags for your sector. Now, you both raised 14 red flags that you felt should be addressed in order to achieve their aim of delivering the licensing while supporting rather than damaging the sector. Uh, tell us about these concerns and also solutions that you suggested. I think one thing that's absolutely clear and we need to really remind everybody is that the Association of Scotland Self-Caterers and the wider industry is not against regulation. Indeed, we've been calling for regulation since 2016, but it has to be proportionate and, and justifiable and targeted. It can't be what we've got now because what we've got now is not just unlawful. It is just not fit for purpose. What we always asked for was a registration scheme with mandatory health and safety. Now, the difference between registration and licensing is very small, but it's very significant. A register, like the landlord's register, is a notification scheme. You tell your local authority that you're undertaking this activity and you tick boxes to say that you are compliant with all the associated health and safety um, compliance requirements. Fine, easy. Then we know exactly where people are, what they're doing, how often they're doing it, whether it's a 365 days a year operation or whether it's one week a year when they're on holiday, et cetera, et cetera. That compares to licensing, which is an authorization scheme. You have to ask permission to do it. And what they're doing is, so a long-term landlord will will pay £86 for a three-year register with exactly the same health and safety compliance as short-term let licensing with a non-refundable fee of between £250 and £5,869 for a one-year license. So when Mr. McLennan stands up in, in Parliament and says, oh, it's terribly good value, it's only about £250 for three years, that's not just disingenuous, it's a downright lie, actually. And the difficulty is he will say that people are applying, loads, thousands of people are applying, and it's all fine and everybody's getting their license. 7,000 people have applied out of their estimate of Mm -hmm. 32,000. You've got to ask yourself, why aren't they applying? And it's not for want of 
not being compliant, it's because they're getting stuck by the barrier of planning. It's because they can't afford it in the middle of a financial crisis. There are any number of reasons why people are not applying, but the very fact is they are not. Now, the 14 flags were 14 solutions, and we've always been entirely solution-led. We've always presented workable, proportionate solutions, which have just been dismissed out of hand. The 14 red flags was the last chance if you want to keep licensing under the Civic Government Act 1982, then this is what you need to do to make it workable. And they have absolutely ignored every single one of them again. So it begs the question, why bother keep asking for briefings, for final strategies, for solutions, if they're just going to ignore them? And at that meeting with Paul McLennan on the 11th of July, I said, Paul, he said, give me the specific issues that we need to look at. I said, they're exactly the same ones as I gave you in January and May. He said, just give me the specific challenges. Go on. I said, Paul, are you going to actually look at them? Because I'd really like to spend some time with my family right now. This has been seven years of my life. And he just dismissed them out of hand, every single one of them. Now, this isn't just about self-catering and bed and breakfast businesses. This is about the ability of people on the street being able to support themselves during a financial crisis. The UK government is encouraging people to accept short-term people in in order to help them pay their mortgage. A police officer outside parliament last week said, why is everyone out here? What's going on? And somebody explained to him what was going on. It turns out that that police officer that protects our elected representatives in parliament rents out his spare room in order to pay his mortgage. Mm -hmm. He had no idea that he now needs to get a license. He will not be getting a license and he will therefore not be able to pay his mortgage. For me, that's a problem. So A, he didn't know, and had he not asked that question, he would be acting unlawfully on the 1st of October. What's he to do? Arrest himself? It's unbelievable. So for all the people out there that continue to do what they're doing now to get themselves through this financial crisis, they will be doing so unlawfully. And if they're doing it unlawfully, it means their insurance isn't covered. It means they're in breach of their mortgage. That's a problem. Yeah. How many people are out there that have no idea that this legislation is coming into force in two weeks' time? So, again, for those people that have got second homes but historically have rented them out in order to, you know, pay for some of the expenses, even if they've not got a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, the socially responsible thing to do is to be able to use your asset in that way in order to give the opportunity for people to come and stay in that property, to spend in the local economy, to employ people, to clean, to do the laundry, et cetera, et cetera. People are stopping doing that. So the Scottish government is disabling the ability to make use of your asset and to act in a socially responsible way. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you're, um, you know, there was no response to these red flags so or your suggested solution. So how do you feel about this and the fact that local authorities are, are still ploughing ahead when some of their policies are deemed unlawful? This is still going. I, I speak to local authority, the people on the coalface dealing with this all the time. They didn't want it in the first place. It's completely impossible 
several of them said there's absolutely no way that they're going to be able to get through all the applications, even if people do apply. The fact is, it's incompetent legislation. And at this very, very late stage, we still don't even know what enforcement looks like. The Scottish government hasn't thought of these things. They simply haven't. And two ministers said to me, but we've got licensing and we license people all the time. I said, we're not the dog and duck. We don't have a sign outside our properties. You don't know who we are, where we are, or what we are. Therefore, it's impossible to enforce. So they're entirely reliant on community policing. Mm -hmm. So that's your neighbour saying so-and-so's operating a short-term let. She hasn't got a licence. The police, it's enforced by the police. You would have to ring the police to come out to haul somebody away in handcuffs for operating illegally. I mean, that's just unjustifiable and absolutely ridiculous, given the pressures on the police force. But the fact is, it also is destroying community cohesion. And this goes back to the threats and the harassment and the attitude towards our sector and indeed tourists now. It has become incredibly divisive. It's become entirely toxic. And this has all been driven by the Scottish government. You know, let, let's go, go back to just talk about kind of numbers of people who've applied because, as you mentioned, Scottish Government have claimed that many providers have, you know, received the licence. Uh, how many members, or, you know, of your members have applied for licence under the new rules and how many or kind of what percentage do you fear will definitely give up short-term letting? Well, it's interesting. I... Um... We did a webinar last night and we had 260 people signed up for that webinar. Um, and I did a little poll on the webinar. 50% of those had applied and 50% had not. Now, given that they are presumably ASSC members or at least invested in and engaging with us as an organization, that's 50% have simply not applied. Now, these people will already be compliant with the health and safety mm -hmm. element but it's all the other issues that are causing the problems. It is the hugely expensive layout plans that are completely unnecessary and Scottish government officials have confirmed that and yet they're still ploughing ahead. Now on that same call, 14% said that they were not going to apply. So what does that do for Scottish tourism? Are they going to be carrying on operating illegally? How does that impact our international reputation? I mean, these are huge conversations that the Scottish government is sticking its head in the sand and ignoring. And Visit Scotland's in massive, having a horrible time at the moment, trying to work out how to navigate through this. This is reputational damage to Scotland. Mm -hmm. um, the so Scottish government say that thousands have applied. I can tell you that 7,763 have applied and just 4,360 have been granted with 10 days to go before every single short-term let in Scotland must have legally applied for a licence. And don't forget that self-catering units, bed and breakfast, unlicensed guest houses, home sharers, home swappers. In fact, if you look at the guidance on the Scottish Government website, they've got a natty little, do you need a licence checker? It actually genuinely says in there, if you've got a home carer, my mother does, you need a licence. Oh. If somebody comes and looks after your dog and house sits, you need a licence. Now, that's not in the legislation, but it is in their guidance. If they can't even get their guidance correct, 
what hope do we have? And how long, on average, is their review process when somebody applies? Oh, anything from um, the, the best case scenario is one of the islands and it's about 36 days. It goes up to 9, 10, 11, 12 months. And what are the implications for hosts accepting guests without a licence application in place? If they haven't applied for a licence by before the 1st of October, yeah. they cannot then accept any bookings or guests. Or if they do, they will be doing so illegally. And what about deposits and things that may have been lodged earlier? Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, precisely the point. And 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 ministers will say, well, once you've applied, you've got the local authority's got 12 months to consider your application. Now, that's all very lovely, but if for some reason your application is rejected, then you've got 28 days to cease trading. So if you've got a raft of bookings in place, how do we manage that? This it is virtually impossible to run a business in this basis. It's impossible. You cannot run a business with this level of uncertainty. You simply can't. And don't forget, licenses are not transferable. You cannot sell your business. So I've got people wanting to retire. They can't sell their business because no one else can buy it because lenders are not lending on the basis of licensing. And we have told Scottish government this time and time again, and they clearly don't care. Now, the Scottish government announced a new deal for business recently. This is the first test, and they are failing it mesmerizingly well. Absolutely unbelievable. They are not listening to business. They are not engaging with associations. If I hear one more time ministers saying that they've spoken to the ASSE, spoken to, listening, and hearing are very different things. They sure as hell have spoken to us. They absolutely have not heard what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, we've seen clear evidence in the City Let's Quarter 2 rental report through the double-digit rent rises for a third quarter in a row of the unintended consequences on tenants from the emergency cost of living legislation, which saw um, mid-tenancy rent caps introduced. What ramifications do you think the new licensing will have on the short-term let industry, employment and Scottish economy as a whole? It it is mesmerising the impact that this is going to have, and I cannot understand why the Scottish government simply hasn't listened to the evidence that we have given them on what the ramifications are going to be in terms of, as you say, it's the onward supply chain. It's not just the businesses themselves that are going to get destroyed. It's the cleaners, the laundry providers, the restaurant and pub in the village down the road. It's the activity providers and the attractions that are going to get hit by this. And of course, you've got tech solution companies, you know, resident in Scotland. This is going to impact on so many different people. And you've used those wonderful words, unintended consequences. If you look at the 2021 Business Regulatory Impact Assessment, Annex D, I believe it is, is principal concerns of the ASSC. Every single one of those principal concerns is now happening. So it can't be called an unintended consequence. They can only be described as intended consequences because they simply haven't heeded the concerns raised. So they can't be unintended 
consequences anymore. Mm, well, let, I mean, let's talk about Edinburgh Festival because it's an important driver in the national economy. How will the new licensing directly affect future Edinburgh festivals? Well, look, I mean, even the Edinburgh Festival themselves absolutely recognises the impact that this is going to have in terms of accommodation provision for both performers, for guests and um, for backup staff. Simply, there will not be enough accommodation next year. They delayed this legislation's rollout this year on the basis that they were concerned about the Edinburgh Festival. Let's go back to that figure of seven secondary let licenses have been granted in Edinburgh. Seven. Where are people going to stay? But don't forget that it's not just about the festival and it's not just about tourists. Self-catering units in Edinburgh are vital for the entire city and its economy and the well-being of the city. People stay there that are relocating. People go there and stay to work. People go and stay if they've got a family member in hospital or they're on secondment for six months. There's a range of other reasons why people stay in self-catering apartments rather than hotels. If you're going to stay in Edinburgh for more than two weeks or a week or indeed three days, you're not going to stay in a hotel. You want a washing machine. You want your own space. You want to be able to cook. That will all be lost on the basis of the planning regime and also the licensing. What is that going to do to our economy? And then for those people that are visiting Edinburgh as tourists, Edinburgh acts as a funnel to the rest of Scotland. If they stop coming to Edinburgh, they then won't carry on to the borders or Argyll and Butte. And that's a fundamental problem for Scotland. And if you look at somewhere like Dublin, the hotel prices are astronomical. Mm. If you look at hotel prices in Edinburgh right now, from September onwards, they are clearly going up. And that's because supply is going down, demand is staying the same or indeed rising. So it's not rocket science to establish the fact that the prices are going to go up and there simply aren't enough hotel rooms to cover the demand. So we have a fundamental problem. And what nobody has ever actually worked out is what is the demand? What is the demand and what do we need rather than just knee jerk reaction, short term nets, Airbnbs are bad. They haven't actually looked at this holistically. And the end result of this is probably going to be catastrophic. And anybody that says otherwise is either being disingenuous or just ignoring the realities. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many short-term let hosts do you think will transition to long-term letting, not just in Edinburgh, but in Scotland as a whole? Well, the problem is you've raised already is that long-term rental uh, opportunities are being really constrained by existing regulations. We've seen that for years now since PRT came in in 2016. You know, it has had an impact. Being a long-term landlord is not terribly attractive anymore. So people are not going to suddenly just transition into long-term rental. Some will, of course, but many simply won't. And the other problem is that with lots of these apartments in Edinburgh specifically, People use them themselves. So they will come back four or five times a year. And the rest of the time, they will rent them out to uh, corporate clients, et cetera, et cetera. 
those people are not going to rent them out long term because they need to use that premises when they're back at home. So therefore, they will just be lying empty. And that's the reality for the vast majority of apartments in Edinburgh. So again, this is not addressing the housing crisis in any yeah. way, shape, or form. And it's actually just impacting on the the, the lack of get, visitors going to buy coffee in the lovely artisanal coffee shop down the road, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, just about the effect on, you know, housing and also affordable housing. So in your opinion, what will be the long-term effects of the legislation on the Scottish housing market as a whole? What we're going to see, and we're already seeing it, is uh, an increase in second homes, an increase in price houses, house prices, I should say, because what people are doing is they're selling their properties at market value, their lovely self-catering properties. They're being snapped up by cash buyers from the South. So the reality is this is going to have a massively detrimental impact on the housing market. It may even go worse than that. It could have an absolutely disastrous impact on the housing market. It certainly is not increasing the um, supply of affordable homes, that's for sure. And let's not forget, if you're talking about the Highlands, certainly places like Skye and Sutherland, there is not hotel accommodation for people to be displaced into. So where are they going? They're going straight into camper vans. So we are seeing all over the Highlands, nose to tail camper vans, which is doing nothing for our net zero aspirations or our potholes or the mental health mm. of the people that live there. So which bit of this legislation is a success? I would ask the Scottish government. And when the Scottish government turns around and says, well, everybody that's applied has had the license granted. Well, if this is about basic health and safety, that means everyone's compliant. Ergo, was it really necessary in the first place? It just doesn't make any sense. It's as if they've tried to find a solution, can't quite work out what the problem is yet. Very well put. Listen, thank you so much, Fiona. That's been really interesting. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm Gillian Sandler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk. Thank you.